<clears throat> Thank you very much. Get myself hooked up here. You get old, you forget which way things are supposed to go. I think it goes this way. Nope, that's not right. The clip on here is backwards. <laughs> Thank you. Now it's facing the right way. Okay, can you hear me now? <laughs> good. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I am the one and only Pastor Fred, infamous Pastor Fred. Unfamous, is that the right word? I don't know. Um, I'm so glad to see everybody here this morning. I don't get a chance to preach too much anymore. Um, in the last uh, five or six years, I've been pretty busy writing. Um, as you can see by the PowerPoints that we've put up, the, I think I have 14 or 15 books on Amazon now. So uh, if you want to know more about me, just go to RevFred.com. That's all you need to know. And you can uh, order books, you can read my blog, um, all kinds of good things on there. And so uh, this morning, uh, I thought I would bring a series of messages, since I'm going to be here for uh, four Sundays, on the promised gift. And uh, it's a little bit different way of looking at Pentecost. There were two great and wonderful experiences, events, whatever you want to call them, uh, in, the, in the life of the church. The first great one, of course, was when Jesus began his ministry, taught his disciples, went to the cross, and gave himself for you and I. That was the first great event which we celebrate on Easter. Every year at Easter time, we celebrate the sacrifice of Christ for our lives, for eternal life. The second great event in the life of the church followed right after that. It was called Pentecost. 50 days uh, 50 weeks, I should say. Is it 50 weeks? No, 50 days later. Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks, about the promised gift. Um, how many people read the series, uh, the Left Behind series? Quite a few. Good. Um, as they were being published, millions of people read the Left Behind series, and uh, the publishers had a smash hit and, and uh, almost guaranteed its continuance by leaving uh, the story at a crossroads, one book after the other. There was always something that led to the next book and wanted, you couldn't wait to get the next book in the series. 
12 volumes, uh, plus a, a pre-sequel that was published between 1995 and 2005. People were continually talking about the Left Behind series and, and couldn't wait until the next book came out. Uh, but maybe you're not a reader. Um, maybe you're a movie watcher, like me. I'm, I'm more of a visual learner. And so I like to watch movies, and, and there was a series that came out called The Lord of the Rings, and it also was a big hit. And uh, a sequel, and another sequel, and so on, on the Lord of the Rings series. Uh, of course, if, you're, if you go way back to where Star Wars started, <laughs> uh, we all know where that went. Um, the point is that hit after hit, movie after movie, book after book, anticipation was always built before the next installment came out. Um, one of my favorite recent TV programs, maybe it's not so recent now, but it was at the time, was called 24. Anybody heard of 24? Yeah. What a great TV series. Um, it was another one of those. Uh, it just had you sitting on the edge of your seat kind of thing. And then it would come to an end, and it's like, oh, can't wait till next Monday night, you know? <laughs> and uh, it was really, really a, a well done series. Uh, every Monday night, the show started with, and you'll all remember this if you watch the series previously on 24. And then it would show a clip of a trailer or whatever of the previous week or weeks leading up to that Monday night's great show. In the Bible, you could say that the book of Acts becomes a sequel to the gospel. The Gospels, of course, is the story of Jesus and his ministry and his training of his disciples and everything that he began to do up until the time that he was taken. And uh, the book of Acts kind of starts with previously in the story of Jesus. And then, up until about verse 12, which is where the sequel really starts. And this is what it says. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, previously, <laughs> I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So wait in the upper room for the sequel. My words, <laughs> those aren't in the Bible. But you see what I'm saying? The book of Acts becomes the sequel to the Gospels. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. Wait for the sequel. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promised gift. Well, let's go back for a minute and focus on verse 3 of Acts chapter 1. And I want to show you uh, kind of the, the premise for this teaching, uh, which is in order to carry out the, the work of God, the people, the church, must be convinced and they must be empowered. They have to be convinced and they have to be empowered. After his suffering, it says, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. They had to be convinced. They had to be convinced that he wasn't a ghost. They had to be convinced that he was who he said he was. They had to be convinced that there was something happening that was beyond the ordinary. They had to be convinced that Jesus was back. They had to be absolutely convinced. But that wasn't enough. Wait in Jerusalem, Jesus said, until you receive power. They not only had to be convinced, they had to be empowered. Remember those two things, because the same thing is true today. Us, the church, we the people, still today have to be convinced and we have to be empowered before we can do anything concerning the work of God. It's so true today. They had to be convinced and empowered that only the, received the power that only the Holy Spirit could give. My friends, nothing has changed. There is no plan B. We still need those same two things today to be fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Many of us perhaps are convinced that Jesus is who he said he is, but not many of us are empowered. 
The story of Pentecost is the coming of the promised gift to the Holy Spirit, and uh, it's the sequel to the Gospels. In fact, if you think about it, God has really given us three gifts for this life. The first gift, free gift, is the free gift of salvation that comes only through His Son, Jesus. The second gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit that we'll be looking at in this series in the next few weeks. The Holy Spirit to convict us of, of guilt in regard of sin and to guide us into all truth. The third gift comes through the Holy Spirit, which is the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Unless we are empowered with the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, being convinced isn't enough. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts and enables us and empowers us to use them. It's my opinion, just my opinion, it's just a thought, as John Maxwell would say, that there are some who have confused the gift with the gifts. They've confused the gift of the Holy Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit as described in God's Word, and especially in 1 Corinthians 12, but it says in verse 11 of that chapter, all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, which is the gift. The gifts of the Spirit are the work of the Spirit. <laughs> Peter's reply to the question of the people at Pentecost when they said, after he preached his great sermon, they said, what must we do? What must we do? And Peter's reply was, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, he said, all who are far off and all whom the Lord will call. Those who accepted his message that day were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number. Can you imagine in one day hearing one message and the church grew by 3,000 people? The first thing they had to do was put in a bigger parking lot. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible when you think about it. 3,000 people responded to Peter's message. They not only were convinced that what he said was true, but they were empowered and added to the church that day. So those who believe or are born again receive the Holy Spirit, and there's a reason for that. Um, the reason for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit is because mankind all of mankind, me and you and all of us in this room and all of mankind has a problem. We actually have two problems. Number one is the fact that we've sinned. 
Jesus took care of that problem. I'm convinced of that. The second problem is that we're sinners. Guess what? God sent the Holy Spirit to take care of that. Jesus took care of the fact that we sinned. The Holy Spirit was sent to take care of the fact that we are sinners. Although it may sound like one problem, it really is two. Too often we want to deal with the first problem. We come to the cross and we deal with the first problem, the fact that I'm a sinner, or that I've sinned, and Jesus takes care of that. But we kind of want to ignore the second problem, the fact that we're sinners. Let me explain this. First, we've sinned. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. Jesus took care of that. If we claim to be without sin, says John, 1 John 1.8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The good news is that we've been given a gift, and that gift is God's grace through Jesus Christ, His Son. That gift brings us forgiveness for our sin, for all who believe, it says. For all who are convinced, it says. Jesus brings forgiveness for our sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a free gift. God loved us so much that he gave his only son. It takes care of man's first problem, the fact that we've sinned. It's what we call, and I have called for centuries in the church, the born-again experience. The born-again experience, coming to the cross to receive forgiveness for our first problem, which is the fact that we've sinned. The second problem of a man is one that we have the most trouble with, the fact that we're sinners. When Peter stood up and gave his sermon at Pentecost, um, and the people were gathered around there from every nation, by the way, in Jerusalem, um, <clears throat> Peter stood up and, and, and preached about Jesus, and the people immediately, it says, were cut to the heart, and they said to him, what must we do? What must we do? Receive the gift. Receive the gift. And so there's many Christians, I believe, that have taken care of the first part, repent and be baptized, but they've not taken care of the second part, which is to receive the gift the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. For <clears throat> Maybe I should say that they've received the gift, for we all do. It says when you believe and receive Jesus Christ, you will receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the gift. The problem is, is that most of us haven't opened it up. It's still under the tree, so to speak. 
We accept Jesus as our, as our personal Savior, but we've never opened the gift of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 speaks of our sinful nature. So I say to you, he says, live by the Spirit, for you, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You see? Beginning to make sense? We have a sinful nature, folks. Oh, we've taken care of our sin. Jesus took care of our sin. We've come to the cross. We've come to the altar. We're born again Christians. But we have within us a sinful nature, Paul says. For the sinful nature does what is contrary to the Spirit. They're in conflict with each other, so you don't do what you want. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. One of my favorite things to preach on when I was at my little church in Woodland, I always used to talk about Paul's doodahs. You know, where Paul said, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't want to do what I do, and oh, to do da day. <laughs> um, <laughs> Paul's doodahs, he was talking about the sinful nature. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't want to do what I do. And, oh, woe is me, you know. How can I take care of this? Well, even if we believed and accepted God's first gift of salvation, we still have that sinful nature. We have a tendency towards sin. It's a deeper problem in that it affects our thought, word, and deed. You could call it a character flaw, I guess. That's the result of inherited sin. And even though the outer man has been cleansed, the inner self still seeks the pleasure of sin. So to help us overcome this battle that we have with this inner nature within us, God has given us his second gift, his promised gift. Wait in Jerusalem till you, till you get the promised gift. Wait in Jerusalem till you receive the power, said Jesus. The promised gift, the gift my Father has promised. God's given us a second gift, the indwelling. The indwelling Holy Spirit. Why? Believe me, I need, I need a lot of help with my sinful nature. I think we all do, right? God said, I forgive your sin, but there's something within you that needs a little help too. And so I'm going to send my Holy Spirit as the second gift to help you with that spiritual nature to help you overcome that spiritual nature. The indwelling Holy Spirit is a provision to help us overcome, or as the Word puts it, crucify our old self. The Holy Spirit helps us with that as we grow in our journey of righteousness and Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit does this, you see, kind of put a big ribbon and a bow around this, the Holy Spirit does that by enabling and empowering the fruit and the gifts. <laughs> it all comes together. When the Holy Spirit within us, when we allow him to begin to empower 
the fruit and the gifts in our lives, guess what happens? He begins to take care of our sinful nature. The more we allow the Holy Spirit to do this in our lives, the more we recognize His work in us. The more we're able to have victory over the second problem, the fact that we are by nature sinners. All the willpower and self-discipline in the world can't do it. It can only be done through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, the promised gift. This is what sanctification is all about. It's what sanctification is all, big word, sanctification, all it means is the Holy Spirit's going to help us with some problems we have. It's the inner cleansing and changing of a saved soul. God has dealt, you see, with both of man's needs through the free gift of salvation and the sacrifice on the cross, which opened the way for us to also receive the promised gift, the Holy Spirit. The only thing you need to do with a gift is open it up. We already have it. You don't have to go looking for it. You don't, you don't have to do something special to get it. You don't have to come up here to the altar and get on our knees and weep and wail and ask God for it. We already have it. Let me say that again. We already have it. If you are a born-again believer, you already have the Holy Spirit. You just haven't allowed Him to do His work. In his book on the Holy Spirit, Billy Graham says that we are given a twofold gift from God. First is the work of Jesus, the Son of God, for us, and the second is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. One is for us, one is in us. One is our eternal gift, the other is our internal gift. The verse that keeps coming back over and over is from Philippians Chapter 2, verse 13. I hope you can see that. For it is God who works in you. Where does he work? In us. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Think about those words for a second. God works in us to change our will, to change our actions, to will and to act according to his good purpose. To will and to act. That is to seek his will and to act accordingly. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Helps us to act accordingly. It's the work of the Holy Spirit giving us knowledge and understanding of God's will and the truth of his word and giving us the power to act upon that knowledge and understanding. You see, knowledge without application is simply information. Knowledge, that's a good quote. Knowledge without application is simply information. You can go to the library and get information, can't you? 
You can go down here to the DMV and get information. You can go to any bookstore and get information. But knowledge without application is simply information. It seems as though there are many who have a lot of information about God, a lot of information about Jesus, a lot of information about the Holy Spirit, but it hasn't done anything for their will and their act. You know what I call it? I call it my wanna. Uh, my wife's name is Judy, by the way. She's not with us today. My son Jeff is here. Um, we look like twins. <laughs> I said, I don't have a beard, but <clears throat> my wife Judy and I, we were born and raised in Superior, Wisconsin. And uh, there's an area of Superior, Wisconsin called Billings Park. And in Billings Park, um, <clears throat> there is a, a street with a very funny name. And the first time I drove by this street, I, I laughed uncontrollably. The name of the street is Lackawanna. <laughs> Lackawanna. The problem that most of us have as Christians is we have a Lackawanna. <laughs> you see, uh, we can probably release the Holy Spirit's power in us and he can begin to change us and deal with our inner self and our inner problem and our inner nature, sinful nature, but we just have a lack of wanna. We don't wanna. You see, we, can, we could probably open our Bibles every day for at least 15, 20 minutes and read some truth from God's Word every single day and gain knowledge and application to our lives but we have a Lackawanna. Don't tell me you don't have time. That's an old excuse that doesn't work. We all have time. We have the same amount of time, every one of us. We just have a Lackawanna. Oh, now I'm scolding you, aren't I? <laughs> That's the problem. In my mind, being filled with the Holy Spirit has little to do with the gifts of the Spirit and everything to do with the will and the act. The gifts and the fruit will come, my friends, when we begin to release the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. We've been convinced, now we need to be empowered. And when we begin to become empowered, He begins to change our Lackawanna. For it is God who works in you to will and to act. Am I making any sense? The result of being filled with the Spirit is not a gift. You don't get a special gift just because you're filled with the Spirit. I'm sorry if there are any of my Pentecostal friends here this morning. But the result of being filled with the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. What good is a gift if you don't have love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. If you don't have those things, the, the fruit of the Spirit in your lives, what good is a gift? The fruit of the Spirit's like an orange, by the way. Next time you are eating an orange or you see an orange in the grocery store or whatever, I want you to think of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is like the slices inside of an orange. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all wrapped up in the rind of love. All those things are inside of the orange, it's all wrapped up in love. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit is in our lives. We begin to be kinder people, gentler people. We find goodness and faithfulness and peace. The biggest thing most of us lack is patience, but it's a fruit. It's part of the fruit. And it's all wrapped up in love. Paul said, without love, you're nothing. Without love, you're a clanging cymbal. It's like being on the gong show. <laughs> now I'm really going back there. <laughs> um, but Paul goes on later in the same scripture to say, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If you live by the Spirit, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the sinful nature that's within us. It's all part of the sanctification process by the Holy Spirit. So this is what I say to you today. Live by the Holy Spirit, the promised gift given to us to help us live this Christian born-again life that we've been called to live. We've all been called to live this life. Let's accept and open the second gift. Let's go back again and to Acts chapter 1 and begin to read the sequel. Too many people are stuck in the gospel. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm not preaching against the gospel, my friends. The gospel is what got us here. But there's more. There's so much more in the promised gift. We have to begin to live this life that we've been called to live and get rid of this sinful nature. We've gotten rid of our sin. Jesus took care of that. We need the Holy Spirit's help to get rid of the sinful nature, our second problem. We all have it, every one of us. If you're a born-again Christian, you already have the Holy Spirit. Turn him loose. Turn him loose, not only in your life. Turn him loose in this church. He will transform us 
in ways we've never seen before. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Um, I think the worship team is going to come up and, and uh, do another worship song for us. And as they do, think about what uh, has been talked about today and ask yourself, have I, don't worry about your neighbor, don't worry about your family, don't worry about anybody else in your life, ask yourself this question, have I submitted my life to the work of the Holy Spirit? Am I really allowing God's Holy Spirit to deal with me, to deal with my uncontrollable sinful nature? Or do I have a Lackawanna? We can deal with a Lackawanna. The Holy Spirit can deal with a Lackawanna. We just have to allow him to do so. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here this morning. Looking forward to sharing God's word and the things that he has put upon my heart. I've been in the ministry uh, about 32 years now. And uh, uh, every church that I go into is uh, different somehow. And yet, in one respect, we're all the same. We're here for one reason and one purpose, and that is to lift high the name of Jesus and to glorify God the Father. I want to uh, take you back for just a few minutes, if I may, um, with a little review from last week. Usually there are people that weren't here last week, and, uh, and so they're gonna kinda jump right into the middle of, this, of the message. But I wanna give you just a little review to kinda bring them up to speed, is that okay? And, uh, and so, what I started with last week was the fact that the book of Acts, which is uh, all about the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, of course, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and, and uh, the disciples get filled with the Holy Spirit, it changes their lives to go from a dramatic, uh, oh, woe is me, we're going to die <laughs> kind of a place to jumping up and down in the streets and proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ as Savior. Something happened. Something gave them the boldness and the courage and the whatever to do what they did. And uh, as the Bible itself says, they turned the world upside down. 
of course, we like to say today that they really turned the world right side up. Um, but the book of Acts becomes kind of the sequel, if you will, kind of like a movie or a series of books, a sequel to the story of Jesus. The Gospels, of course, are all about Jesus. His birth, his life, his ministry, his training of his disciples, all the things that he did, all the places he went, um, all the things that he said. It's all about Jesus, the Gospels. But towards the end of the Gospels, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, but wait, there's more. Kind of like those commercials, you know, you can get all this for 1995, but wait, there's more. <laughs> and the more, of course, was the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, the ministry of, the infilling of, the empowering of God's church. Um, the Holy Spirit and God's people. It's the promised gift that Jesus told his disciples about in the book of John, but it's also uh, in Acts 1-4 where it says, he gave them this command. It wasn't just a suggestion. It says he gave them this command. He said, wait in Jerusalem for the gift my Father has promised, which you heard me speak about, you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will receive the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, there's going to be more. In fact, in one spot, he said, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't take it. <laughs> you just can't take what's going to happen after I'm gone. Um, but he said, there's so much more coming. You will receive power. One of the things the Gospels do, the Gospel message in all four books, convinces us that Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus was who he said he was. In fact, at one point in the Gospels, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And of course, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon that, I will build my church. Upon that declaration that I am the Son of God, I will build my church. And so the Gospels is all about convincing them, convincing the disciples and convincing the people that he was who he said he was. You see, in order to carry on the work of God in the world then and even today, we have to be convinced. If we're not convinced, how can we convince anyone else? 
We have to be convinced. But wait, there's more. It's the power, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You see, in order to carry on the work of God, we not only have to be convinced, we have to be empowered. That's why Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait until you receive the power. We have to be convinced, we have to be empowered. You see, Jesus died on the cross for our salvation, which is the first gift of God to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but his death on the cross also opened the way. It opened the way for the promised gift, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, unless I go, (laughs) the Holy Spirit can't come. I must go back to the Father because unless I go, He can't come. And so it opened the way for the Holy Spirit, which was God's second gift, to help us or give us the power, the presence, and the will, the wanna, to live this Christian life. I'm gonna repeat one more thing from last week. Mankind has two problems. The first problem is that we've sinned. The second problem is that we're sinners. It's not the same thing. Jesus took care of the first problem, the fact that we've sinned on the cross of Calvary. Then God sent the Holy Spirit to help us with the second problem, which is the fact that we're sinners. Even Paul kind of sends that message to us when he says, we have within us this sinful nature that is in constant battle with the spiritual nature. I don't know if you've heard the story before of the white dog and the black dog, but if you have a white dog and a black dog and one represents the spiritual life and one represents the flesh or evil, the one that becomes more, the most powerful is the one that gets fed the most. You see, if you, if you don't feed the black dog, the white dog becomes more powerful. And so we have to constantly feed our spiritual nature. We have to constantly be turning more and more of our lives over to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Because the word says that God, it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you to will and to act. God works in us to change our wanna. Also Philippians 2.13 tells us that through the Holy Spirit, that's where this comes from, it's God who works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose Although both gifts, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit are freely given by the grace of God, both of those things must be accepted by us. They must be received and opened. It's a free gift, but it's gotta be opened in order to be of any use. Both involve submission on our part 
If we do not submit and receive God's gift of his son Jesus, you see, we are eternally lost. And if we do not submit and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and allow him to work in us to will and to act, as it says, then we will lack the power that we need to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. From the inside out. In fact, if we don't allow ourselves to be changed by the Holy Spirit, we end up just trying to be a better person. And you know what that is? Just trying to be a better person is nothing more than a cleaned up version of your old self. Right? It's just a cleaned up version of your old self. But that's not what God desires. God desires for us to crucify, the Bible says, our old nature. Crucify it. Get rid of it. Change it from the inside out. That can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's two words that we Christians use to describe this process. To be in Christ is called redemption or salvation. And to allow Christ through his Holy Spirit to work in us is called sanctification. Now those are some big words, but what it simply means is that to be in Christ makes us fit for heaven. To be sanctified by the Holy Spirit makes us fit to live on this earth with one another. Salvation makes us fit for heaven, right? Sanctification makes us fit for here and now. Both are the process of God and the free gift of God. <clears throat> One of those, redemption changes our eternal destination. But to be turned on by the power of the Holy Spirit changes our destiny. Again, two different things. Think about, for instance, the change that this power, this, this promised gift made in the disciples. It was the power of the Holy Spirit working through men like Peter and John that transformed the early church. And it's the same power that's still at work in the church today. It hasn't changed. God doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. And the Holy Spirit doesn't change. It's the same power today that filled the disciples when they walked out in the streets of Jerusalem. It's the power to obey the word of God and overcome our sinful nature. I want to read you a story from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. It says this, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, they were so sad, you see, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. 
But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Listen, the church was not growing by one or two families back then. It was growing by thousands. (laughs) The power of the Holy Spirit was drawing thousands of people into the church. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas. Try saying that three times real fast. And John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. (coughs) Excuse me. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which mankind, given to mankind by which we must be saved. And this is the important part. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, listen to the words. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Did you hear that? They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. And if I may add my own thoughts to that, I would say there was nothing they could say because Peter was turned on by the Holy Spirit. I just gave you the third point of last week's sermon. We not only have to be convinced, we not only have to be empowered, we have to experience the power of God in our lives. There has to be experience. They recognize that these men had been with Jesus and they thought, aha, (laughs) maybe there's something to this. Now let's go back to Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, just like you and me, and they were astonished, and they took note that they had been with Jesus. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit does not happen overnight. It's not the result of a one-time shot experience. However, it is the result of our working with the Holy Spirit and turning more and more of our lives over to Him. 
that changes us from the inside out. We need to spend time in God's word. We need to spend time in study. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time with God. We need to spend time with Jesus. We need to spend time with the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, boom. It's the power of God working in us and through us to change our will and our act. Simple, isn't it? It's just a simple message. In our high-tech world of today, we have lots of toys and tools and appliances and phones and computers and just about everything else in the world today that's cordless, wireless, wireless. These have become very popular, of course, because you can carry them around with you wherever you go. And uh, a, a new item, I, I, when, when I was in the ministry, um, uh, people would ask me, what are you going to do after you leave the ministry? I said, <laughs> preachers don't leave the ministry. You just preach till you die, right? Um, <laughs> but I always used to say, well, if I don't get a church or if I can't be in the ministry anymore, I'll just go to work for Home Depot. And that was kind of my mantra. I'll just go to work for Home Depot because I had a construction background and I was a home builder and all that kind of stuff. And I was an electrician, had an elect uh, electric business with my oldest son. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll just go to work for Home Depot. Well, when I retired, guess what happened? <laughs> I went to work for Home Depot. And uh, while I was there, one of the things that really caught my eye, and I thought, boy, this is really weird. They had a lawnmower, a wireless lawnmower. <laughs> I mean, my phone was one thing, and computers are one thing, but a wireless battery-operated or whatever it was lawnmower. And I thought, well, that's just great, but what happens when the battery runs out? You know, hopefully you have a small lawn because this thing's not going to last very long. Anything that's cordless, anything that's wireless in our world today, at some point has to be brought back to the charger. Am I right? It goes dead. Guess what happens to God's people when they're away from God too long? You see, it's not a result of a one-time shot. It's not a result of one day in church. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Your life and the life of the church is never going to change one day a week, one sermon a week. We have to spend more time with God. We have to spend more time in God's Word. We have to spend more time being transformed from the inside out. In order to maintain our power, we have to return to the charger. Guess who the charger is? The promised gift. 
Paul goes on later in the same scripture from Philippians to say, so I say live by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Heard those words before? Live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's the message, you see. Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the sinful nature. Let me give you something from the scriptures that also relate to this work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the counselor is the spirit of truth. This is interesting. The counselor is the spirit of truth. John 14, 15. John 15, 26 says the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father will testify about me. John 16, 13 says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. What's the common word there? Truth. The spirit of truth. The spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. Think about the time when Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. <laughs> you will know the truth, the spirit of truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth of God's word, yes, but the spirit of truth will set you free. If you know that you have the spirit of truth who guides us into the knowledge of all truth, it will set us free. Free from what? Free from our sinful nature and the power of sin. It sets us free from our sinful nature, sets us free from the power of sin in our lives. If it sets us free from something, it must set us free to something. It sets us free to live according to God's word by the spirit of God. It sets us free to will and to act according to God's good purpose. You see, it all comes together. This is why the church was such a powerful force in the world. In Acts chapter 1, it tells us that after the ascension of Christ, the disciples did return to Jerusalem, and they joined together constantly in prayer. They devoted themselves to the teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread every day. They continued to meet in the temple courts. Obviously, there, was, uh, there are too many things going on in our world today that prevent us from meeting every day collectively. But there's nothing in our world today that prevents us from meeting for at least 15, 20 minutes a day with God our Father. Raise your hand if you have an excuse as to why you don't talk to God today. There is no excuse. There's no excuse for not opening our Bibles and reading from God's Word. There's no excuse for not spending time in prayer. Fifteen minutes, half hour, anything. It takes experience with God to change your life. 
Well, I just don't understand God's will for my life. How much time do you spend with him? <laughs> How much time do you spend with him? They devoted themselves. Devoted themselves. I can't stress enough the importance of daily time with God and his word. Daily time in prayer. Daily asking the Holy Spirit to fill us and bring forth his fruit in our lives. Making use of the gifts that he's given us for his glory. From the life and ministry of Jesus and from the ministry of the early church, we can come to at least three conclusions about the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Number one, it cannot be explained. It cannot be explained. I could spend hours up here this morning telling you about all of the things that God has done in my life that are unexplainable. They just, God does things out of the blue. We use that cliche, but that's the way he works. Sometimes God just does things out of the blue and we go, where did that come from? It's God. He just does it. God shows up and says, how do you like that? And we go, wow. <laughs> wow, I, I, I can't explain what happened. It just, God did it. It cannot be explained. Jesus told Nicodemus that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You cannot explain where it comes from or where it goes. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. You can't explain where it comes from or where it goes. Except to say, you can see it, its effects. I saw some of the effects last night in Barren, of the wind, not of the Holy Spirit, but <laughs> of the wind. Huge trees, I'm talking trees this big around, laying on the ground, one after another, just boom, 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 down the street. You can see the effects of the wind, you don't know where it came from and you don't know where it's going, but you can see the effects. The same is true of the Holy Spirit. You don't know when he comes and you don't know where he goes, but you can see what he does. And you can't explain it. The, the things the disciples said and did could not be explained except to say they had been filled with the Holy Spirit and they had spent time with Jesus. Oh yeah, these guys, they spent time with Jesus. They're just ordinary men. They're nothing spectacular about them, but they, they spent time with Jesus. I know there's been things in your life and mine that could not be explained except for the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is it cannot be argued with. In Acts chapter 4, which we read, the religious leaders could not argue with the fact that this man had been healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. They couldn't argue with that. He was standing right there. 
How could they argue with it? God worked through Peter to bring healing to a crippled beggar. God is the master of the miraculous. You can't argue with faith. In fact, in, in chapter five of Acts, the leaders concede that if this is from God, he won't be able to stop it. They were pretty smart. Not smart enough to accept the fact that Jesus was the son of God, but they were smart enough to know that if it's from God, you won't be able to stop it. You can't stop it. You can't explain it. You can't argue with it. And the third point, it cannot be intimidated. If you try to lock it up, <laughs> think, about, think about Paul. If you try to lock up the Holy Spirit, what happens? The whole prison is transformed. It's crazy. Have you read the story? They locked up Paul. And the next thing they knew, all the prisoners got saved. And they were down there in the prison with the rats singing and praising God. What? You can't intimidate the Holy Spirit. If you try to kill it, its blood will become the seed of the church. You can laugh at it, you can mock it, you can beat it, spit on it, crucify it. No matter how you attempt to deny it, the power of the Holy Spirit of Christ allowed to work in and through his people is a transforming power that cannot be explained, it cannot be argued with, and it cannot be intimidated. I don't know about you, but that turns me on. It's the power of the promised gift. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone, it says, was filled with awe. They were filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and to give to those who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What can we do to get more people in the church? What can we do? Let's fill the parking lot with bouncy toys. That'll bring them in. Let's get a rock and roll band up here. Get this place rocking, that'll bring them in. <clears throat> let, me say, let me say these words one more time. And the Lord, and the Lord, they did all these things. They ate, broke bread, spent time in prayer, devoted themselves to the disciples' teaching. They spent time with God, and he, he 
added to their number daily. What can we do to bring more people in the church? Spend more time with God. It's simple. It's simple. It's not complicated. <clears throat> Listen. I'm sorry, guys, but it's not the worship band that attracts people. <laughs> what? <laughs> say, what? It's not the music. Oh, it's great. It's a wonderful part of the service. I don't care if it's a worship team or an, or an organist or singing old hymns. I don't care what it is. It's praise to God. And when we praise God, He, He adds to the church. It's not the worship team that does it. It's not the building, oh, we got to repaint and we got to stucco and we got to do this, we got to put a new roof on, we got to change everything. Stop. Stop. Spend more time with God and He will add to the church. You see where I'm coming from? I'm just an old preacher, but I know what I'm talking about. It's not the building that attracts them. It's not the music that attracts them. It's not even the preacher. <laughs> it's not even the preacher that attracts them. Although they're all part of the ministry of the church. People are attracted to the church because they see something they do not see in the world. Let me put a name on it. Fruit. Hello. People are attracted to the church because they see fruit. They see love. They see joy. They see peace. They see patience. They see kindness and gentleness and self-control. Raise your hand if I'm wrong. They see fruit and God sends them to the door of the church because they'll never find it in the world. It's about people being transformed by the indwelling, enabling, empowering work of the Holy Spirit, God's gift. However, when they don't see fruit, when they don't see those things happening in the church, what do they see? Hypocrites. Those people say they, they love, but they don't. They say they have patience, but they don't. They say they have peace in all things, but they don't. <laughs> but when they see the fruit, when the Holy Spirit is filling and leading the church, it ought to become a dynamic force of change in the world. 
The church is like a glowing orange hot iron that ought to set fire to everything it touches. But there's more. But wait, <laughs> there's more. There's more to the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. And we'll look at that next week. Next week, I want to talk about the direction and the protection and the edification that the Holy Spirit does in the church. There's so much more that's available to us. God's free gift of His Holy Spirit. Have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Fantastic. Fantastic, you've changed your destination. For some of us, it's time to open the gift of the Holy Spirit and change our destiny. Amen? Father, we thank you this morning for this wonderful power that you've given us. In Jesus, your Son, we found salvation. In his Holy Spirit, we find power. Power not only to change our lives, but power to change the world around us. I just don't understand why it's taken us 3,000 years almost to figure it out. Help us, each one of us, individually, to spend more time with you, that we might know that we know that we know and be convinced that when we do our part, you will do your part. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.